don't hit that skip button because I have huge news for you. The Rewind of the Living Dead t-shirt lives. It is here. It is available to purchase. Oh, yes, I'm not kidding. We finally got our Rewind of the Living Dead t-shirt out, and it's amazing. It is printed by the same company that prints for Cavity Colors and Fright Rags, which if you're a hardcore horror fan who buys a lot of horror t-shirts, I know I do, you know that's the very best and highest quality because we couldn't do anything less for our fans. It's an amazing full-color design designed by Jason Ragosta. It's very cool. It features a zombified myself, a zombified Damon, and it looks just like an awesome horror shirt because that's what we want because we're horror fans too. So we wanted to make a t-shirt that you could really sink your teeth into. Go to rewindoftheLivingDead.bigcartel.com. Again, that's rewindoftheLivingDead.bigcartel.com to get your t-shirt today. Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. The continued success of the Alien franchise meant more sequels were almost inevitable. Even after the problem-plagued Alien 3 ended up as a movie director David Fincher actively disowns from his filmography. 20th Century Fox wanted to do a fourth film in the franchise and got interested in hiring young screenwriter Joss Whedon to pen a script. The studio initially suggested a film centered around a clone of Newt, a character from Aliens, but then ultimately decided that it should be a Ripley clone since she was the centerpiece of every film thus far. Whedon rewrote his script to meet the studio's expectations, although original producers Walter Hill and David Geiler, who had been a part of every prior Alien film, wanted nothing to do with this sequel. Sigourney Weaver eventually signed on to return to the franchise despite her character's death in the third film, and she was reportedly paid $11 million to star in the sequel. The film takes place 200 years after the events of Alien 3, as a military organization uses DNA found on Fury 161 to build a clone of Ellen Ripley that would also allow them to extract the xenomorph queen that was growing inside her. And it's safe to say, that doesn't work out well for anybody. Who are you? Ripley, Ellen, Lieutenant First Class. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're not her. Who am I? to destroy a species that lives to kill. I can feel it in my eyes. I can hear it moving. You need a weapon that never dies. Something of a predator, isn't she? Sigourney Weaver, Winona Ryder, Alien Resurrection. I thought you were dead. Yeah, I get that a lot. Rated R. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to clone Ripley and wake up the monster's mother as we review the 1997 film Alien Resurrection. Damon Martin 7 and I'm Patrick Guerra 8 <laughs> and Patrick we are here to continue our ongoing series reviewing the entire Alien franchise this week of course we are reviewing Alien Resurrection mm, the time has finally come to <laughs> to get to one of the sore spots in the Alien franchise Alien Resurrection was released in uh, November of 1997 of course it stars Sigourney Weaver as Ripley 8 Winona Ryder as Call, Ron Perlman as Johnner, with notable character actors uh, Michael Wincott, Dan Hadaya, and Raymond Cruz. Written by Joss Whedon and directed by Jean-Pierre Genou, or Genet, uh, it had a budget of $75 million and a worldwide box office of $161 million. Damon? 
So we've taken a pretty pretty positive uh, approach to the Alien films thus far. I think so, yes. Alien and Aliens, I said, and I argued, I think it may be the greatest one-two punch maybe in film history. I've argued I that so. I, think, I think Aliens could be the greatest sequel of all time. Alien 3, for all of his problems, and even though I had some issues with the story, was still a very good film, even though David mm-hmm. Fincher hates it. <laughs> Has there ever been a more precipitous drop-off in a, in a <laughs> franchise than, because, like, I thought about this last night. I was, I was thinking about this last night, because I've seen this movie at least twice, and then I rewatched it literally yesterday to get ready for the podcast. And there were large parts of the movie that I think I blocked out due to trauma, because... <laughs> I was like, what, what were they thinking? But then when it was all over, we're, you know, we're a horror podcast. So horror, you know, horror sequels are kind of ingrained in our nature, right? Like that's part of the DNA of being a horror fan. And I was thinking of all the horror franchises out there with like a real steep change between one film to the other. And I thought, you know, we didn't, (laughs) we certainly did not give a kind review to Freddy's dead, the final nightmare, which, you know, I'm a massive nightmare on Elm Street fan, but I don't think it was a drop off because part five wasn't particularly great either. And and part four was incredible. I'd say part four to part five would be really good to not so good. But even part five had a couple of redeeming qualities. Part going from that to to Freddy's dead was like, again, it was like from bad to worse. (laughs) Um, Friday the 13th, I guess you could argue like, you know, Jason, but Jason takes Manhattan was terrible. And then the final Friday that Jason goes to hell was also terrible from seven to eight, yeah, okay, you could argue that's a, but again, seven's got flaws too. So, like, I was trying to think of a, of a of a franchise that really just like stepped off a cliff and just dropped to the bottom of the canyon from one film to the next. And I I struggled to come up with a better example than Alien Three to Alien Resurrection. All these aforementioned movies, uh, the Nightmare movies, Friday movies, they kind of ease you into shitty. <laughs> like they get they they slowly get you there. And by the way, some, some there are people that are huge fans of like uh, Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X. There's actually probably more Jason X fans out there than you would believe. Um, and and same goes for like I've heard people say good things about Dream Child and uh, and Freddy's Dead, which I'm like, but you've seen those movies, right? <laughs> like you've seen them. You, you don't you don't just like the the cover of the VHS. Um, there's there hasn't been such an abrupt sort of slam into the wall that I can think of quite like this. Um, Damon, you know, um, 1997, that's a, a good six years after, seven years, at, five years after, something like that. Um, uh, yeah, because it was filmed in 96, came out in 97, and, and Alien 3 was, what, 92? So we're and then released in 92, so five years. Yeah. Not, a, yeah. not a super long time for an Alien franchise. Um, but boy, oh boy, um, you know, hey, Ripley dies at the end of Alien 3. And so I remember when Resurrection came, um, I should have been fairly excited about it. Uh, I think the year it came out, I, I remember pretty vividly. And um, I remember just going, I'm not going to watch that. How on earth does a 16-year-old see an Alien trailer for a new Alien movie and go, I'm, I'm good, I'll pass. That's that's bad news right away because I just went like, well, Ripley's dead. Why why is she back and how is she back? And I'm like you, like I thought I hadn't really watched this movie, and then I sat down and realized I've watched the whole thing before. And you just you just just eject it from your brain as fast as you possibly can. It's not one of those movies you want to remember. It's a big stain on the franchise. Um, 
before we get into the why of it, let's get into the how of it. Indeed, like what what is the plot of this movie, Damon? We have decided that uh, the the Wayland Utani company is no more. But while they were there on Fury One Sixty One back in Alien Three, they took a blood sample from Ripley. Or, or they found a blood sample because Ripley's incinerated. There's nothing left of her, but they found a blood sample somewhere on Fury 161 and they kept it, which that tracks for Waylon Utani. Um, and then eventually, 200 years in the future, Waylon Utani is no more. And from what I understand in the script, uh, were bought out by Walmart. That, that's what I've I'm, I'm come to understand. I'm not joking. That's in a version of the script. Um, the military has taken that DNA. They've put it on a military ship. They've gone to the outer reaches of the solar system so that they are outside of jurisdictions and they have started experiments. What they want to do is they want to resurrect the alien to create weapons. They're still obsessed with weapons. There's no more Wayland Utani, but now the military is obsessed with weapons. Um, and so they, they use that blood sample to, to resurrect Ripley, who the Ripley who had the alien queen in her before she jumped into the furnace in Fury 161, Damon, there is science fiction and then there is just absolute utter raging bullshit that just makes no type of sense. And there's no way you can like suspend your display. I mean, I, yes, you can. OK, fine. You can because <laughs> we do, we're doing it for the whole series. We suspend our disbelief. But talk about a bridge too far. Like it just. It, that that alone just didn't work. There's, I mean, there's a multitude of things that didn't work in this movie, but at the at the front of the at the front of the list at the start of the list is, is the fact that they resurrected Ripley. I mean, Alien Three gave us a satisfying ending ending to the Ripley story. Like she dove yeah. into a furnace to die, so the alien queen wouldn't be reborn, and she wanted to take away the weapon that Waylon Utani wanted so desperately. To erase all that and say we're 200 years in the future and we've just resurrected her through DNA and we built a clone is remarkable. Like, that's remarkable. Like, that's a remarkable bit of storytelling just to get Ripley back in the series. Yeah. And my first thought watching this when, the, you know, when again, because I, again, I've seen it. I know I've seen it at least once or twice. And as I said last night, I like there were large swaths of this movie where I was like, have I seen this? Do I remember this? But I've never seen a clearer definition of a money grab in Hollywood than this yeah. film. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been plenty of others. Trust me, there have. But this was the purest definition of a money grab. This is a franchise that continuously produced um, hits that continuously earned money at the box office. And they said, we got to do another one. And the original version, as I mentioned in the intro, they wanted a clone of Newt. So they weren't even going to go the Ripley route. Now, I don't think that would have made it any better, necessarily. Right. We still had the same plot hole and, you know, kind of, why are we doing this? But then they're like, no, no, we got to bring back Sigourney Weaver. She's the star of the franchise, so we're going to clone her. And then watching this film, it's just the, 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 the story and the plot goes from ridiculous to stupid in a hurry. <laughs> like, there's just, it is... There's no evolution here. It just gets worse. And I'm watching this thing and I'm just like, who like who who had the idea? Who approved this and said this is a great idea? And I want to read a quote. Walter Hill, great filmmaker, incredible director, directed films like 48 Hours, which I just recently rewatched, 
incredible comedy with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. He directed The Warriors. Everyone knows that movie. Been a prolific producer for many, many years, and he's still working to this day. Just produced a, a Western fairly recently. He had been a major part of all of the Alien films, from Alien to Aliens and even Alien 3. And he did an interview years ago talking about the Alien franchise. And the interviewer asked him, what about the fourth Alien Resurrection? And I'm going to read you a quote from Walter Hill. Now, mind you, at this point, Walter Hill and his partner, David Geiler, had filed a couple of lawsuits against 20th Century Fox for profits from the Alien franchise. So they were already at odds with the studio before this ever happened. But here's his quote. We had nothing to do with that one. Didn't even think it was a good idea for starters. We thought we had ended the series, and our relationship with the studio had had deteriorated even more, probably due to the lawsuits. Our only real function was telling them that the script they developed without our input was, wasn't any good and wouldn't work. We then suffered the traditional fate of The Messenger. Personally, I think it's a lousy movie, and I think they just wasted Winona Ryder. That's inexcusable. I mean, the summation couldn't be better. You know, not that Walter Hill always had great ideas in this in this franchise. I mean, there's certainly times, uh, you know, there were there were bad ideas that, that got into Alien 3 and all that. And a lot of it was spearheaded by guys like uh, Walter Hill and, and David Geiler. Um, but he's right. This is a this is a pure waste of time uh, of a movie. I hate to I hate to say that because um, I want to always find silver linings. But I think here's here's my problem with this movie, Damon. Um, it, it's it's a twofold issue. The director uh, Jean Pierre Genet is actually a pretty good director. He he's, he directed some really great movies, The City of Lost Children, uh, Delicatessen, and uh, Amelie are, are really good movies. They're really very tonally just wildly different. Whatever producer thought he was the right fit for the Alien franchise was out of their mind. Whatever executive said, this is the guy, they were completely wrong. And you can get it wrong, by the way. You can think like, wow, like this guy really has great vision. Like he could do something with this. I don't think Jean-Pierre has any idea or even cares what the Alien franchise is. And he doesn't have to, it's not a requirement. I'm not saying that he has to, but it's very clear on, on screen that he's making something that is not anywhere the language of the Alien franchise at all. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, and the biggest problem of them all, is the script. And the script is written by none other than America's favorite writer, Joss Whedon. Now, Damon, I know you like a lot of Joss Whedon material, and I know that he is now persona non grata, so I don't feel bad about laying into Joss Whedon specifically on this. But the biggest problem with this movie, I don't care who was directing it, was the story. And, <clears throat> excuse me, if you... Uh, I'll read a direct quote from Joss Whedon. In fact, I have it pulled up right here. Um, he says, it wasn't a question of doing everything differently, although they changed the ending. It was mostly a matter of doing everything wrong. They said the lines mostly, but they said them all wrong, and they cast it wrong, and they designed it wrong, and they scored it wrong, and they did everything that they could possibly do wrong, right? That's, that's Joss Whedon's idea. Um, and it wasn't so much that they changed the script, it's just that they executed in such a ghastly fashion as to render it almost unwatchable. This is Joss Whedon. He's saying it wasn't so much that they changed the script, it's how they did it. I'm sorry, Joss, no. Your script is ghastly. It's awful. It's terrible. It sucks out loud. It's just bad and if Jean-Pierre had no idea what the Alien franchise was, Joss Whedon had, had never even heard of Alien. 
like literally never heard of the, the if 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 he thought that his script was at all reflective of the alien franchise in even just a little bit even in the spirit of the franchise it couldn't have been more wrong it was a complete diversion from anything that alien had done before now you don't need to retread the things before it but the language of the series was fairly consistent from alien to aliens to alien 3 they were fairly consistent joss came up with this idea that was like in his words it was way funnier when i wrote it since when has aliens been funny like they just they just haven't been a lot of people were up in arms about star wars uh the last jedi being too comical but go back and watch the first movie and the second movie. They're actually pretty funny movies. Like the original Star Wars movies are funny. They have a lot of comedy in them. They're, they're, it's laced into the characters and everything. So tonally, that actually wasn't a big diversion, you know, but you don't have to like The Last Jedi. I do. But the Alien movies are not funny movies. They're not supposed to be goofy. And Joss Whedon wrote in his mind a funny Alien movie. And uh, uh, Damon, I'll let you, I'll let you take over from here. <laughs> I can't stand Joss Whedon's writing. I didn't like his Avenger movies. I didn't like Buffy. I know you like Buffy. My wife loves Buffy, so that's fine. And I didn't like Firefly. I didn't. Li- I don't like what this guy writes. Period. It's not my cup of tea. I'm glad that people like it. He was just the wrong guy to write an alien movie. Agree or disagree? So I kind of forgot. Uh, let me just go ahead and start by saying that. The Star Wars: Last Jedi is god awful, so let me just go and throw that out there. And <laughs> we we might have uh, to divert and do our own episode and, on that one too. And to- totally, I'd rather smack myself in the face with a tack hammer than watch that movie again. <laughs> um, I forgot. I, I honestly didn't even remember that Joss Whedon wrote this. I texted that to you. It's like holy shit, Joss Whedon wrote this movie. I completely like. I don't know if I never knew it, never paid attention to it. Again, I remember seeing this relatively soon after it came out. And I know I didn't see it in the theater. Much like yourself, the trailer did not do me any favors, and so I didn't rush out to see this. And at that point, I was kind of not, you know, I was young, high school, like I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was, you know, every weekend running out to see the movies. But I know I saw this within a couple of years of it coming out. And then I know I revisited this sometime in the early 2000s, like 2005, 2000, somewhere around there. I, I, I remember they had released a box set, uh, maybe it was a DVD box set, of all the Alien films up to that point, the four films in the franchise. And I remember watching, like going on like a binge one weekend and watching all the Alien films. So I know I've seen this at least twice, but I honestly had no memory whatsoever that Joss Whedon had written the script. Joss Whedon seems to be a pretty abhorrent person uh, from everything you read and everything I've heard about him recently. Uh, There's a reason why he's not working much in Hollywood these days, because anyone who's worked with him seems to not enjoy themselves too much. And he does not seem like a nice person. Um, And yeah, so just to get that out of the way. So this when I say this, be understanding, I'm not defending Joss Whedon, the person I'm defending Joss Whedon, the writer at that time. Yeah, I understand. Everyone's not going to be for everybody. And that's part of what cinema and televisions for i've gotten i've had you know i i personally believe that the sopranos is the greatest television series that's ever been written or produced for for tv when people ask me like what are your favorite tv shows of all time i say well this show this show and this show and then the sopranos is in its own category like you can't touch it it's untouchable but i've had plenty of people tell me oh you know the wire was better breaking bad was better i don't argue with them about it i'm just saying yeah. that like everyone is entitled to their own opinion for me personally there's a lot of joss whedon work that i that i do enjoy buffy the vampire slayer being at the top of that list i adore that series 
Sarah Michelle Geller, that entire cast, I love that show and will always love that show. And I really did enjoy Firefly for the, you know, 10 episodes it was and never came back. Didn't really, I'll be honest, I didn't love the Serenity movie, but, you know, it was trying to give them a chance to wrap up the series, and I'm fine with that. But the Firefly series as a whole, I enjoyed. Love Buffy. And I'll disagree, you know, again, for me personally, I really enjoyed the first Avengers movie. Age of Ultron didn't really work very well. I, I, I thought it would be better. It wasn't. His rework of Justice League was one of the worst pieces of crap ever. I mean, <laughs> it was one of the worst films ever. And I've seen some of his other work in terms of, you know, he did a, he, he's done other shows that were like eh, mediocre to, you know, okay. Now, I've said on this show many times, I'm a huge cinephile and a huge TV fan. Not everyone is going to produce everything they've ever done is going to be aces. I, I can count on one hand the amount of people I can say I like all their work leading by Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director, and there's nothing he's done that I haven't enjoyed. But that's a very short list. I could probably count on, like, three yeah. fingers. I mean, again, Wes Craven's one of my favorite directors. There are Wes Craven films that I don't particularly enjoy, and I know that may be sacrilege to some horror fans, but I'm just being mm -hmm. honest. Like, some Wes Craven sure. films, you know, not as good as others. Um, so, again, Joss Whedon has a couple things I love, a couple things that I tolerate, and a few things that I'm like, this is not good. This falls into that latter category, Patrick, where this is not good. <laughs> and not for good. him for him to say that the problem was the way they shot it and not with the script. No, what listen, I do have <laughs> problems with the way it was shot. Don't get me wrong. Sure. I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a minute. But the script is terrible. The story is terrible. The dialogue is terrible. terrible. Oh. The story is just remarkably remarkably bad now I, i'm certainly not giving joss whedon a pass here by the way just let me, let me be clear about this the studio came to him and said we want you to write an alien film right he didn't volunteer and say i got a great idea for an alien film let me pitch right. it to you guys he was hired as a screenwriter this is mid-90s this wasn't at the height of his success he was still a young guy. Remember, he got to start on working on Roseanne as a script editor. And like he was working on the Roseanne series. That's how he got to start in the early 90s. So by this point, 94, 95, when they're starting to put together the bones of this film before they go film it, he doesn't have that power. He doesn't have that that influence to say, no, no, I'm going to do it this This is the story I want to tell. They're like, hey, we have an idea about cloning Newt and Ripley, whatever. Like, here's the idea. And so you go off and write it. Now, that's like a hired gun. You know what I mean? You're hired to write a series. So I'll I'll give him a... And so when you say he doesn't understand the Alien franchise, I completely agree. And it almost feels like this was a paycheck. Like, it wasn't like I have a... Sure. I have a, I have a passionate idea for an Alien film. Let me go write this and bring it to you and you see if you want to make it. This was... We need a screenwriter. Joss Whedon seems like he's pretty good at this stuff, so let's hire him. And he said, "Yeah, here's an idea." And tonally and and everything like everything about this film is wrong. And it really feels like this this movie was made by a guy who read the 1995 version of a Wikipedia page with like a real brief synopsis of every movie <laughs> and never actually saw them. Oh, there's an alien on a ship and and this woman named Ripley survives, okay, and then she wakes up 57 years later, and she goes to this back to the colony with a bunch of Marines, and they all die except for a couple of them, and they escape, and then they, they crash land on a prison planet, and only one of them survives, and then she ends up dying at the end of the movie. That's a very simplistic version of the Alien franchise, and it feels like that's all he knew. And so he came into this film like, all right, let's resurrect Ripley. We got DNA. This works. Cloning is a thing. And so... 
this is just it, it doesn't feel like an alien film and i want to mention one last thing the way it's shot while i agree like while i completely disagree with the notion that the way it was shot ruined his script joss your your script was terrible had nothing to do with the way it was shot but rewatching this film last night there was so much stylized directing in this film with like zoom ins and the color palette and the like the the real tight zoom ins and like almost like the comical way this was shot reminded yeah. me that the director somehow saw 12 monkeys which was directed by Terry Gilliam saw the fifth element directed by Luke Besson and said, you know what? I'm going to mash those two things together and make it my alien resurrection film. The style of shooting in this film is so distracting and so bad. Like there's a scene where Dan Hedaya, the, the, the general, uh, where he, they just zoom right in and you can literally see like the boogers in his nose. Like they zoom in so tight on him to get like a reaction to his face. And I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I didn't see this on the big screen. It was scared the hell out of me. But that as bad as it was didn't have anything to do with the script. The script was bad. The script, the story was bad. Yeah, I, I think I think if I could have even forgiven this visual language that was completely separate of the Alien franchise, if the story was super compelling. And the fact of the matter is the story was garbage. And and Joss Whedon says it clearly. If they if they would have just done the script the way I wrote it, it would have been fine. No, wrong, like totally wrong. That's the problem with the movie. But um, with with Jean Pierre's style is very kind of indie European. Like they have a whole different sensibility. It's almost like watching what a European thinks Americans are like. And it's com. You said it, you said it perfectly. It's comical. There's these wide angle uh, lenses that get right up in people's faces and like distort their faces and, and, and they make it comical. And, and I think like also an American writer and a European director, the humor, the humor at the time, you know, this is, this is pre-internet. So the world wasn't connected the way it is today. The humor in Europe and the humor in America work totally different. So you got this director trying to interpret that script and what's what it, he deems funny what the script deems funny and what he deems funny about American action movies. And they collide and create a big comical mess. I will say weirdly enough, if like Jean-Pierre Genut and, and, and Joss Whedon got together and wrote something original with his directing style and with Joss Whedon's just weird writing style, if they got together and wrote something completely original and filmed it in this style at that time, and it, they might've gotten away with something that was like passable but they both clearly could not give a shit about the alien franchise like that. And not that you have to worship it. Like I want to be clear about that. I don't want, I, I'm still not the guy who's like super protective over a franchise where you can't take a wild swing. These guys just didn't even like they were, they, they were, they were batting a pinata that blindfolded, you know, like, like they just weren't even trying. They, they clearly weren't. They were just doing their best to interpret what uh, what the alien franchise might be without seemingly having any clue it's a 75 million dollar budget it this movie has has the feel of a movie that has good production value but still feels like weirdly cheap and all like uh, it's it was so odd to me i was like why does it feel so weird you know like it, it just and you you when you said comical like i was like that's exactly what it is it feels like a like a comic almost not a comic book movie a comic like just something very goofy very silly the characters and, and you know that does come down to direction how the characters kind of portray themselves on screen were very um self-aware which whoa you know that's a that's a red flag phrase for me um the characters seemed very self-aware 
they did. I agree with Walter here. Walter Hill. They totally wasted Winona Ryder. She's barely in this movie. I mean, as in terms of like a function, as a as a as 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 someone who can move the plot forward, they really waste her for some reason. I don't know why. Winona Ryder's great. She's really good, and you got her going right, you know, toe to toe with uh, Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver, where they can they can work in the same space together. They like all these just crazy missed opportunities. A, a, a lot of great character actors that are sort of just made to say a line and then move on. And you know, I don't know. It just it it. You're right, Damon. This is a cash grab and it feels like it top to bottom. It just feels like everybody Sigourney Weaver. They go, why on earth did you come back for a fourth movie? Didn't you die in the last one? She goes, they backed a boatload of money up to my house. Yeah. $11 million in 1997 is unheard of money for a female uh, lead. It, it, that wasn't the kind of money women were getting. Sigourney Weaver very wisely goes, yeah, pay me, pay me a lot and I'll do this. So, and one of the things I want to be clear, like, it's right now again i'm not the kind of guy who likes to punch down on people right like even when we've reviewed films that are like lower budget and we've talked about like sometimes when you have great casts you can be it's almost like you're born on third base you're already ahead of the game when you can cast a great person like sigourney weaver to be in your movie so we've always kind of graded on a scale a little bit that way because we understand when you're a lower budget movie you're you know ten million dollars you're making your first film whatever the case may be you got to grade on a curve a little bit some people are going to be ahead and some people are going to be a little bit behind we understand that so I'm not and also when I say kicking down Joss Whedon is probably you know for all intents and purposes like almost out of the business at this point like no one seems to want to hire him and probably rightfully so if you're if you believe. 10% of the stories out there about him. It certainly mm. seems like no one's rushing to hire Joss Whedon. So when I'm punching down on him, so to speak, I'm not. Because I'm saying here today, I am a fan of a lot of his work. A big fan. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of my all-time favorite TV series. I think it's, uh, it's flawless. I love that show. Mm. Um, And to also be fair, when I talk about how bad the script is, let me also kind of <laughs> take a couple shots here at the director. I talked about the style of this film where it looks like, you know, I tried to shoot a Terry Gilliam, Luke Besson, yeah. mid 90s sci-fi epic. And if you watch 12 Monkeys, which is an Oscar winning film, you know, and, and if you watch or Oscar nominated, I don't even want anything, but it was Oscar nominated. And if you watch The Fifth Element, which is a film I really enjoy, great sci-fi fun film, Bruce Willis, Mila Jovovich. Um, if you watch those two films back to back, then go watch Alien Resurrection, you're like, holy crap, I can see where like what he was trying to do here. But here's where I'm going to take a shot at the director. Every film, every director has a different style of how they shoot films. And you know this, Patrick, and I can't remember. I just saw an interview with this recently with an actor talking about this. And I, maybe it was Tarantino. Maybe it was somebody else. But they say that this director likes to shoot like 30 takes of every scene. Right. Do it over, do it over, do it over, do it over. And then they always give them one. Like, here, do one for yourself. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I know, and I, this is a separate story, but I know, like, when Leonardo DiCaprio shot Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the scene in the trailer where Rick Dalton freaks out and throws his whiskey and <laughs> yell, basically, basically yelling at himself in, in, the, in yeah. the trailer, like, you messed up. That was largely ad-libbed, and basically Tarantino just kept telling Leonardo DiCaprio, go further, go further. And so he just kept, like, wigging out even more and more and more, throwing stuff and breaking glass. And, like, by the end of it, the ba I want to say it was, like, the final take or, like, the second-to-last final take is what they ultimately used because he wasn't as 
freaking out. He wasn't like, you know, as crazed wild out in the early takes by the time they got to like take 30 and he's just like, go for it, man. He just went for it. That's the one they used. This, this is a good cast. Sigourney yes. Weaver is incredible. Not Oscar nominated multiple time Oscar nominated actors and for aliens for that matter. Winona Ryder. I adore Winona Ryder. I just watched Heather's again the other night. What an incredible movie. And she's incredible. And pretty much everything she's done from that to currently in Stranger Things. I love Winona Ryder. One of my favorites. Um, Ron Perlman, who I've met and interviewed. Incredibly nice guy. Great character actor. Loved him in Sons of Anarchy. Hellboy. Really, I really enjoy Ron Perlman's work. And Michael Wincott, who is, again, kind of like that guy you know but you don't know. The voice, you always recognize Michael Wincott's voice from The Crow, you know, other movies he's done. I really nope. enjoy it. So when, when I, yeah, and nope. When I look at this film, this is a really talented cast. But it feels like every single take that they used in this movie was the director saying, okay, give me one more, but go way further than you need to go. Like, go way more than go, <laughs> just get animated and just give me. You're you're just you know you're full on like you know uh, Shakespearean best where you just go full on. Every take feels like that, and this is a good cast with good actors. This feels like yeah. they did thirty takes of every single scene that mattered, and when Ona Ryder does her line, like no no no, I need more, I need more. Okay, he does it again. No, I need more, I need more. And by the end of it, she's just like fuck it, and she's like yelling and screaming and just like waving her hands. That's what this film felt like was like every single scene in this film felt like it was shot of like, we need more. We need a bigger, more animated, just go over the top every single time. Now, does that work in certain films? Absolutely. You don't get Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood without saying you got to keep going. You got to go further. Sometimes you got to pull back the leash a little bit. And this was a case where it just felt like every single time by take 20, Jean-Pierre Genoux was like, no, no, I need more. I need you to really go for it here. And by the end, there's like there's like creative exhaustion where the actor is just like, all right, I'm just going to go full on, you know, I'm just going to go full on animated lunatic. And that's what every single film, every single scene in this film feels like. Yeah, I do. I do think it's Jean-Pierre Genoux going, isn't that what you do in these American action movies? Now, keep in mind, he's lived in the independent space pretty much his entire career. All these other movies that he's done that are very good. They're done at lower budgets. They're done with, you know, uh, uh, grants and stuff that you get in Europe. But he's used to working in that kind of way. This was his one and only Hollywood studio film. Now, he says, I'll never do that again. I did it. That's fine. But I'm done with that. He doesn't like the Hollywood system. He doesn't want to work in it. Kudos to him. He's out there doing his thing. He's he's a working director, a successful director in his own right. And I think he just interpreted American action movies that way. Like, that's how he sees them through his lens. He goes, yeah, they're so big and over the top and everything's ridiculous. He's not terribly wrong. He's not terribly off about that. But... You know, maybe, you know, maybe the sensibilities of American action movies need to be reined in a little bit. You know, they need to they need to have some sort of like stoicism almost. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe not always, but a little bit. And there's there's none of that in there. It's comical because I think to Jean-Pierre, American action movies are comical. So that's why it has that feeling. Um, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. But I, I do. I do. uh 
I do, I do put, I do double down on the idea that maybe Jean Pierre and Joss Whedon should go write a sci-fi and make one together. Like they really should. I know they, they, they famously hate each other. You know, like they both, you know, obviously Joss Whedon was very critical of how he directed it, and uh, and Jean Pierre like spit back and just said, "Yeah, he makes big dumb Marvel movies for idiots." So of course he would think that like I should have done it differently. He makes dumb movies. <laughs> they should settle their differences and go make a sci-fi movie together. That will probably work out just fine. Just stay away from this franchise. This wasn't your take, folks. Sorry. Do you know? I was thinking about like I was trying to think like a take in a movie. Like I mentioned Twelve Monkeys and I mentioned Fifth Element for the way it was shot. You know what this reminds me of when I said like every take was the one that was just over the top. The scene in Independence Day. Where Randy Quaid is, who is very much an over, you know, very, very much goes over the top in a lot of what he does. And it works really well in films like Vacation and Christmas Vacation. But in that film in Independence Day, you know that scene where you've seen Independence Day, right? I hope mm-hmm. um, the yeah. scene where he saves the day, he flies the ship up into the alien weapon and, and basically destroys it. And he's like, uh, hey, you guys, I'm back. And to quote my generation up yours and like goes in and explodes. <laughs> very like if you're like if there's gonna be one moment in that movie you're like oh man like dial it back a little bit or like can we shoot this again <laughs> every take in alien resurrection feels like randy quaid at his randy quaidest like that's what this film feels like to me like every take is like no no just go a little bit more uh you weren't quite animated enough go a little bit more let's do a zoom in as you're doing it and get a little bit more animated i want to see some expression on your face and it just seemed like that was over and over and over again and there's not like people I like I am certainly not here to try to just be negative for the sake of being negative. I fought, Patrick. I fought hard to find something I really liked about this movie. But there's really nothing like when you think back about what they did with Alien and the creature creation, which was pretty mm-hmm. remarkable for the time, hiring a six foot ten actor and putting him in a suit, and it was really a man in a suit the entire film. And then to go from that to what James Cameron did with aliens with all the different like species and types and they were more animalistic almost in aliens like they were, you know, it was like, a, you know, they were they were a pack creature. And then you get to Alien 3 and we talked about the design. There were some flaws there and some of the digital shots were kind of rough and but it was, you know, 92. So you're not expecting, you know, you're not expecting pure genius at that point. And they created a different kind of alien once again. It was born from a dog, so they kind of kept it on all fours. And again, more animalistic. But overall, the design in the first three films of the aliens were you know, pretty good, passable at the worst in Alien 3. Aliens was great. Alien was great. Alien 3 had some rough spots, but still pretty good. Even the aliens in this movie, the, the effects used for the aliens are just bad. Like... Everything is full on soaked down wet from the time these aliens are born until they die. They are wet, man. They do not dry out. They are not, they are always dripping with something. And then just the design and the digital effects in this movie are so bad. And it's not even that it feels dated. It does feel dated, but it's again, almost feels like they're just like, Oh yeah, just throw that in there. Just put it in there. Like that's where we sacrificed (laughs) where he's like, no, no, I need you to go more animated on take 30 should we reshoot this and like redo this digital effect? Uh, Jean Luc? No, 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 no. Don't worry about that. Don't worry. That looks fine. Like that's kind of what it feels like. Like even the alien design in this movie is bad. Like I am promising you folks. And if you love alien resurrection, I would love to hear from you to tell me why you love this movie, because I sure can't figure it out. 
But I always try to come at every single film and si- try to at least like, if you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. I, I tried so hard to find something to compliment about this movie. Patrick, I don't know that I can. Like, there's just nothing <laughs> here. The story is bad. The design is bad. The direction is bad. The performances aren't great. And I'm saying that as a huge fan of all the stars. Raymond Cruz, Tuco Salamanca's in this movie. I completely forgot he's in this movie, but I watched it. Hey, it's Tuco. And I mean, he didn't really have a lot to, he didn't have a lot of scenery to chew on, but like he was there and I was like, okay, I mean, they had a really good cast. Arguably, you know, at the time when they made aliens, like they didn't know that like, you know, everyone in that cast was going to be, you know, they didn't know Bill Paxton was going to go on to become Bill Paxton necessarily. Sigourney Weaver got nominated for an Oscar, but again, that was still very largely a character actor driven cast. And some of them went on to have bigger careers, but still a lot of them kind of, you know, faded into anonymity. Even Jeanette Goldstein, who played Vasquez, like she appeared in Terminator 2, did a couple other movies with James Cameron, but she pretty much largely disappeared. This film has real good, well-known actors, and the performances are not good, and I don't really necessarily chalk it up to them doing it badly. I just think this was once again a case where the director's like, no, no, give me more, and they're like, all right, I'll give you more, asshole, and then they do it, and it's just... (laughs) They went, you want me to give you more of this script that's in front of me, right? You want more of that? Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the script you're talking about. You want more of that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Like, just nothing firing, Damon. Yeah, can I ask, so we're going to get into categories here in a minute, but I want to ask, the alien design, what I talked about, like, one of the biggest problems of this film, when you talk about story, okay, you want to clone Ripley, you want to bring back the alien queen, you want to birth the alien queen, you want her to give birth to more eggs and make more aliens, okay, I'm all on board with you there, don't particularly agree with the cloning part, but whatever, okay, we got here. They create the queen. She's laying eggs. And even, okay, I I found a plot. I found something I liked. I found one thing I kind of liked. The idea that they hired this crew of smugglers, this crew of basically space pirates, to hijack another ship and kidnap their people, the people in the cryotubes, and use them as the basically sacrificial lambs to create more aliens because the face huggers have to pop out, latch onto somebody for the aliens to be born. That, I'll say, if you're taking away the cloning, all that kind of stuff, if you're a sadistic evil corporation, that sounds like something an evil corporation would do. They'll just like hide. Like, we do, we can't take the blame for this. But if a bunch of space pirates hijack a ship, kidnap everybody in their cryotubes, bring it to us, and then we use them as experimentation, that sounds like something Waylon Utani would have done to create their perfect weapon in the aliens. Walmart at this point. Yeah. Remember, it's so, Walmart now. So there, I, I found something I liked. That little device was pretty good. Like, that's a good thing. Like, and I, that's how you get your space pirates to your to your space station is they are the hijackers who kidnap these people in their cryotubes. They're going to be used to birth more aliens. There, I found something I like. That's a plot device that works. That does work. Like, that seems like something. If we had lived to see... The if we live to see Burke from Aliens actually get an alien off the planet and they got it back to the to the Waylon Utani offices, that is something Waylon Utani would one hundred percent do. We can't be we can't get our hands dirty, but if this if these people go kidnap some other people and bring them to us, we use them as experimentations for these aliens. That I can see happening. So that okay, there's a plot device I liked about this movie. Very small thing, but still there's there there's a I found a compliment. But then. At the end, the alien queen has evolved, and 
I like Brad Dorf, by the way, another character actor in this film. I really like Brad Dorf. He was great in Deadwood. Of course, he's part of the Chucky franchise. I really like Brad Dorf. Really, really fun actor. But they have a scene where it's like the praise of the killer scene where he's all mopped up in the alien gunk and he's tied to the wall and he just starts pontificating about how the alien queen has evolved <laughs> and she's no longer just birthing eggs. She's birthing full grown xenomorphs, except they're not xenomorphs. It's this weird amalgamation of alien and human. And it looks sort of like pumpkin head. Patrick, this film careened off the ledge early on. Like this was already over. I was already off the ledge and falling to my immediate demise. But somehow they kept it even worse with that. Like that was even worse than anything else. Like the whole, we're going to birth out a whole new alien. And it was so utterly ridiculous. It, it also, I mean, I actually think that it's a major plot hole uh, because they smuggle these people on and they infect them. Okay, I get that. It makes a plot hole for Call's character, Winona Ryder, because she's not supposed to do harm to any humans. Like that's part of her programming, yet she she willingly hijacks people. And so, so that doesn't make sense to <laughs> and then what also doesn't make sense is this evolution of the queen birthing one single alien that makes no sense because they are an incredibly evolved species that the egg the egg uh, the the egg um uh the, the way they give birth which is laying multiple eggs that's way more efficient than just birthing one that's ready to go yeah. Wouldn't it be more crazy to like that, that she could drop 10,000 eggs that all hatch full grown aliens. Wouldn't that make more sense? She just gets pregnant with one big alien and then she's done. And that to me, it's like terribly inefficient. Again, that's people, Joss Whedon or the producers or whoever was, whoever decided that that's how it needed to be. That, that completely just chucks the idea that they're incredibly efficient killing machines and that they can reproduce in an efficient fashion. That's, that's very inefficient to just become like a, a regular human. Human pregnancies aren't efficient. Like that, that's actually like true. Bi biologically, they're not efficient. So it made no sense to like go, well, now she's just going to birth one alien. Okay, great. That alien gets born. It looks weird. It's like half Sigourney Weaver, half the alien. It immediately kills the queen mother, which great way to just like, just like chuck an iconic character right off the cliff. Just go, yeah, let's just, I'll just rip her face off real quick and then she'll be done. Like no great showdown with her. You know, people love the, the queen alien. She's amazing, but never mind. We'll just get rid of her in, in a very, uh, you know, dismissive fashion. It just, it, none of that worked. None of it worked for me. Not even that stuff. Like it, I was just like, I don't get it. I don't get, I don't get why it was a hodgepodge of a lot of different ideas mashed together with no concern for cohesiveness at all um maybe we should get into categories because i do want to talk about certain elements that believe it or not might have worked for me a little bit um me, so can i, mention, can I, can I, I want to mention one last thing about the alien thing real quick before we go um they really went hard with like sigourney weaver's clone having like a kinship with the alien Yes, they went hard into that. And I, I we talked about, like, did you actually watch the alien films before you wrote this, Joss? Like, did you actually see these movies? Do you understand them? I feel like, you know, the trailer from Alien 3 where they show the alien getting right in Ripley's face, but it right. doesn't attack her. Yeah, it's almost like he saw that and he heard that the alien had some sort of kinship with Ripley in Alien 3. And he decided to just go full on into that because there's so many moments in this movie where especially when that weird one creature comes out of the alien like 
she like is like lo- like holding it and like caressing it and i'm just like mm-hmm. what are we doing here like these are <laughs> i think the whole concept of alien 3 the reason the alien didn't attack her is because it could tell that she was impregnated with another alien that's just them protecting their own species knowing that she was pre- impregnated with an alien that makes sense not to say that you know like they're they're the, like we've established throughout the series that these are intelligent evolving beings we understand that and the fact that it wouldn't attack ripley because she has an alien queen inside of her makes total sense but then they just took that concept and they just went wildly overboard with it where they're like hold on now what if she's actually the mother to the alien and they're like kid they're like brother and sister and hanging out like it was just the most convoluted plot device i can ever remember in this franchise and it's just so poorly executed I mean, again, that's the, like that could be in my headline. You know, they have to be they have like the little little headline beats on when you buy a DVD or something. It'll say "Brilliant Execution." Mine will be so poorly executed. Would be my like. <laughs> now, don't forget, a part of the plot was is that when they cloned Ripley, uh, her DNA melded with the Queen Alien's DNA. So yeah. she is part alien. Ripley eight is part alien. So there's part, that. There is that part. Yeah, not that she, I like it, and not that it works out great. She has acid for blood, too, a little bit. Boy, does that come into play a couple times in this it, movie. It comes in handy when it needs to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when, when she needs acid blood, it comes in handy. When other times when she's, like, touching stuff with her bloody hand, it doesn't burn any acid. It's only when she needs it to burn it. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, this movie's fucking weird. It is so weird. All right, let's get into categories. We got a lot to get to today because, boy, oh, boy, was this movie something. Um, let's kick things off as we do each and every week. Here's a positive note, Patrick. We're going to kick things off as we do each and every week here on the show. We're going to talk about best performance. So, of all of these performances, Patrick, who is the best in Alien Resurrection? Uh, Damon, our returning champion is Sigourney Weaver as my best performance as Ripley 8. I want to be clear about that. Even in the credits, they credit her as Ripley, and it's clearly not. She's Ripley number eight. They they did seven clonings before her to try and resurrect her, and they they were these hideous, like, you know, Lovecraftian monsters that never were quite worked out. At, at one point, she finds seven and kills seven, you know, like it, as, a, as a kind of a throwback to the original alien where Dallas begs her to kill him. Um, she's Ripley eight, not Ripley. And I do say this. This is why I gave her the best performance. She's nothing like Ellen Ripley. She's very different. In fact, in the beginning, have you seen Poor Things yet? I have. With Emma Stone? Yeah, I have. The beginning felt so much like Poor Things. Because, like, she was, she was almost, like, monosyllabic. She would only say, like, certain words because she's technically just a newborn, right? She's just, she's grown into this adult version of Ripley almost immediately. And she develops in, in, a, in a different way. And I, at first, she's kind of giving that whole thing where she's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take in your world. And so why I gave her uh, best performance is, yeah, she's nothing like Ellen Ripley. She is Ripley eight, which whatever that is, this weird hybrid of, uh, of, of Ripley's DNA and a xenomorph. She's that she's definitely not Ripley and she plays it that way. So I'm not going to say a whole lot about Sigourney Weaver's performance because she's going to come up again in a little while. And I don't want to, I don't want to pontificate on it too much because she's your best performance. So I'll switch to my best performance. I will come back to Sigourney Weaver in a, in a few moments. Um, my best performance, listen, as I said, there's some really over-the-top performances here, and I agree with what Walter Hill said. It's criminal that the way they use Winona Ryder. She's such a good actor, and to use her the way they did, it was a really bizarre choice. 
as I said, Ron Perlman, I really enjoyed. But I gave my best performance, even though he's not in the movie that much. And this is, I'm, it's almost like I'm giving a career achievement award here for best performance because this is a character actor I think never gets nearly enough love for how good he is and everything he's done. And that is Michael Wincott. I really enjoy Michael Wincott. Of course, most people probably know him from The Crow, where he was the bad guy. He was Top Dollar was the character's name, and he had that great scene in the movie where he's uh, where he's yelling with the guy Skunk, and he says he says he's like, he's like you feel like a little worm on a big fucking hook. Your mama must be proud of you. Uh, he's got that great gravelly, dark, deep voice. Uh, he yeah. was in Metro with Eddie Murphy, which is an underrated comedy. Uh, he's in a lot of stuff, and and he's really good. You mentioned Nope. He was just in Nope, you know, recently. I really enjoy Michael Wincott's work. He's not in this movie a lot, but what he's in there is the captain of the Betty, which is the name of the the pirate ship. Uh, I thought he did a good job, but again, I fully admit I'm giving like a career achievement award to Michael <laughs> Wincott here because he's not in the movie a lot, but. I just really like his work, and he's one of those. He's a, he's very much a that guy. Like I know that guy. Oh, yeah. I've seen that guy. I, I recognize that guy's voice, but you don't know him. His name is Michael Wincott, and he does a tremendous job in everything he's in. And he would have been great playing alongside Ripley this whole time. Like it, like he, I don't, you know. Again, everybody in this movie is utilized completely wrong for their strengths. But he would have been great right right alongside Sigourney Weaver. As sort of like, you know, you know, listen, she had uh, she had Hicks and then she had um, she had uh, the uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Charles Dance's character in Alien 3. This would have been a good this w- he would have been a good supplement for her in this movie. But they, they waste that. Yeah, it's it's just not particularly well done. Um, Patrick, we know that sometimes categories come and go in this show. We don't always use every single category that we have at our disposal because some movies just don't uh, don't fit in that category. But this is a week where there is actually a couple of these. And this is what we like to call our Nicolas Cage One Tesla Award. One testicle! This is our award named after Nicolas Cage's performance in Prisoners of Ghostland, where he really just goes for it and call it an overacting award. Whatever you want to call it, this is our One Tesla Award. I'm going to kick things off here, Patrick, because my One Tesla Award goes... To Sigourney Weaver, and that's why I didn't <laughs> want to get in her performance. <laughs> to be clear about this, I love Sigourney Weaver. She is uh, uh, amazing. She is the, one of the queens of sci-fi and horror, without a doubt. I adore her. She was great in Alien. She was, in my opinion, even better in Aliens, and she was great in Alien 3. And she's a great in everything. Ghostbusters yeah, on down the line. Everything yeah, she's, she's just great. great. But the way she delivers some of the lines in this movie, I was just like, wow, they really told you to just like, let's do it again and just don't do it as well. Okay, let me take that case. When she, I put it in the intro of the, in the, in the, in the intro of the show, when she's talking to the guy who has the chest burster inside of him, who didn't birth the alien yet, uh, played by another great character actor. Uh, why am I forgetting his name? Um, Leland Orser who is in a million different things. He was in Daredevil, the Daredevil series. He was also in Seven. He's the guy who has the weird stabby thing uh, uh, tied to him in Seven when he's like, and he made me fuck her, and I fucked her. <laughs> that guy. Um, she's like confronting him, and he's like, what's inside me? What's inside me? I'm like, what's inside me? And she goes, it's a monster. And then she goes, and I'm the monster's mother. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> did we just transition into days of our lives here? Was this like full on like soap opera acting? Uh, I love Sigourney Weaver, but man, she delivered some full on one testicle performances in this movie. 
I mean, the whole every performance is a one testicle performance. If you want to get to it, I found her to be more subdued. She was really trying to take on a different persona, which is jarring, you know, in the in the alien franchise to see her take on kind of a different style. You know, she's clearly not Ripley. And and I get I blame the lines. I don't blame Sigourney. I blame what she had to say. What she had to say in those lines were utterly ridiculous. And she did them to the best of her ability. It just, and again, this also goes to direction, though. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, just sure. Some of, yeah. the, some of the delivery was just, I mean, it was like, I was like, is is this like. You could be point, the greatest like, director in the world, Damon, but if the line is one testicle, like, that's what you're going to get. I uh, I wondered, like, I was thinking, like, as we were doing this podcast, like, was this actually like a Sigourney Weaver clone? Like, they actually found a way to clone her, and they're like, this is not the good version of Sigourney Weaver. Wait, hey, listen, every great actor is capable of having an off night, right? Or an off shoot or an off movie. We all know this. Like not every, you know, Meryl Streep is a highly regarded, well-regarded actor. She doesn't turn in a A-plus performance every single time. Just like I talked about, not, you know, not every director turns in an A-plus performance every single time. I love Sigourney Weaver, but man, she delivered some lines in this movie that were just like, oh boy, this is, this is not her best day at the office is all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's hard when you have a Joss Whedon script in front of you. <laughs> so that's why I couldn't go into my best performance because she got my one testicle award because I was just like, <laughs> there's some, she delivers some lines in this movie where it's just like really, like she's really hamming it up in the camera, especially that when she's like, I'm the monster's mother. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> like, ooh Sigourney, that was a choice. <laughs> so what about you? What do you have for, uh, for, for the one testicle award for Alien Resurrection? Oh, Damon, I love this guy. You know, we both love this guy, actually, very much so. Uh, Ron Perlman gets my one testicle award because, boy, Ron just, he let it swing as Johnner in this movie. He was, he wanted to be kind of the wild, the wild card, right? Like that was, he was trying to be the wild card and it was just like, ooh, this is too wild. This is too much. Uh, Every scene he was in was way over the top. It it just, it's, (laughs) I don't know, Damon. I don't know. I don't know because I could do this with every single character. It just seemed like, why did you use that take? Or, or is there a take where you don't do it so crazy? <laughs> and Ron Perlman's like insane in every take. Well, it just seems like, like I said, like when you're directing a movie, and again, I'm not, a, you've directed, so you probably know this far better than I do, but I've watched enough behind the scenes to understand, you know, and, you know, followed film enough to know this. That directors will often, again, do 30 takes and they'll say, give me a scene where you kind of do it this way. Give me a scene where you kind of do it this way. A little bit, you know, they don't do line readings. They don't tell you how to read your lines. That's a big faux pas in Hollywood. Like You don't tell them, like, I see the line being said this way. They don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Or at least that's everything I've ever heard. Actors hate line readings. But if you say, give me, like, give me an angrier take or give me a more animated take or right. give me a whatever, you know, just give me that take. So the actor is following the direction, you know what I mean? And again, being clear, Sigourney Weaver, Ron Perlman, Winona Ryder, Michael Wincott, they're all good actors. But if the, if the director tells you, give me subdued, give me seductive when you say, I'm the monster's mother, <laughs> and then that's the, that's the take he uses... All, all Sigourney Weaver was give all Sigourney Weaver did was give the director what he wanted. Now I know people are like, well, how do we know that's not every take? We don't. So I understand that. That's we yeah. may not be the case. 
I just have a hard time believing knowing these particular actors as well as I think I do that's seeing enough of their work to know that this is an outlier. This is not <laughs> typically what we see from a Sigourney Weaver performance. So when she gets my one Tesla award, it's because she just delivers some of those with such weird, like just the weirdest delivery of, of anything I've seen her do. And it just, it screams to me. This was the director saying, give it to me that way. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe yeah, I it's am. hard. It's hard to say. I mean, mo for me, it was always like, that's a terrible line. Like, why would you say those words? Yeah. <laughs> like, and like the, the, the acting is distracting as well. Again, it's this collision of like bad acting and I mean, bad, uh, bad writing and bad directing colliding because they're just that you got this guy going, well, you're a big American cowboy. Why don't you just be crazy? And, and then, and they go, yeah, but this, can we change this line? Oh, don't worry about the line. Just be crazier. And it's like, okay, both of these, you should worry about the line because the line's bad. Whatever was on the page was bad to begin with. What what you have me doing is bad to begin with. So I'm going to do this version of it. We'll do the 30 takes of your version. And at the end of the day, the director and the producers and all them, they cut it together. They choose the take they want to choose. The director was clearly trying to create this weird cartoonish movie. And that's what they got out of it. And and uh, I mean, I could I should give the one testicle award to the director. <laughs> I should give one testicle award to Joss Whedon for thinking that those are good things. Like, oh, they just executed my script wrong. No, your script sucks. Let me just mention this. When I keep mentioning that one line, the I'm the monster's mother, that's a terrible <laughs> line. Like, that's an awful <laughs> line to begin with. So, yes, yeah, sure absolutely right like you're not giving me a whole lot to work with here <laughs> yeah there's That's, just nothing to work with yeah like you got to do something with i'm the monster's mother okay well, let me see what i can do with this and then again i think there's a direction thing in there where, like give it to me sexy or give it to me like when you're in a space and you go i'm the monster's mother sigourney you're a sexy cowboy <laughs> cowboy action star give it to me sexy now yeah, sexy it, sexy cowboy please yeah so i just it's just like everything that could go wrong went wrong in, in this movie and so sigourney but you know what everybody seems like they're having fun because they probably all got paid boatloads of money so they're like this yeah. is fine i'm just we're just yeah. getting paid it's just yeah that's it, yeah so it's it is wild okay so let's switch to our next category and again i'm gonna kick this off because you just it's like you read my mind and to be fair you have no idea what i'm about to say our next category in a more positive note is our mvp award this is our ken foray banana hammock MVP award for those who may be new to the show. That is the award named after the great character actor Ken Frey in the movie From Beyond when he needed to save the day, but he just didn't have what he needed on. So he runs down to a basement wearing nothing but a thong bikini, but he still saves the day. So we call this the Ken Frey Banana Hammock MVP award. And my MVP award goes to whoever was representing Sigourney Weaver at this time. I desperately tried last night for like an hour straight <laughs> trying to find out who was her agent at the time. Her current agent is a guy named Jeremy Barber who works for UTA, but he didn't start being an agent until like 2003, so I know this wasn't her agent in 1996. I could not find the guy or girl's name, so to be fair, if you were Sigourney Weaver's agent in 1996 and you signed her up for this movie, this is your award, and that's because you got her paid $11 million to do this movie. She got paid a million dollars to do Aliens, which at the time was the first time an actress had ever been paid a million dollars to do a film of that of that size. The fact that she came back, I don't care what performance she gave. This was a bad script. It was badly directed. It was not a good film. But she got paid $11 million and probably even more on the back end because it did end up making money at the box office. So whoever your agent is, Sigourney, in 1996 or 95, whatever this deal got negotiated, they're my MVP because they got you paid. 
That's the beauty of the MVP categories. When there, when there indeed is a movie where you have a very difficult time finding things that you love, there's always someone in there who came through. Her agent came through big time. Her agent, her managers, however they swung this, they got her seriously paid. I mean, this probably bought her another house. This probably this set is, her up for retirement. This is $96. Like $11 million is still a lot of money today, but like in 96 <laughs> is even more. Like, go, I know you can do it online. Like, you know, the valuation Adjusted, of money, yeah. Yeah, the adjustment. Like, I don't know what it is, like 26 million or whatever, probably what it is today or 20 million. That's a yeah. huge payday. So good for you. Like $11 million to do this. Film's not good, but at least you got a boatload of money to do it. Yeah, we're talking like Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man type money in 1997. Like yeah. huge amount of money where she's just like, cool, I'll never have to work again if I don't need to. Like it literally set her up for life. So you're spot on right there for the MVP. <laughs> Uh, my MVP is a little closer to the movie itself, and that is uh, the the alien designers, Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff. And if those names sound familiar, they did the alien design on Alien 3. Now, on Alien 3, the big problem was the composite alien, right? They, they shot a puppet, a puppet alien against a blue screen and tried to match its lighting to the movie, and it famously did not work. Uh, even though they see, if you listen to the commentary for Alien 3, they seem to be very proud of that. You know, uh, and kudos. I, I, don't, I don't do special effects. They're hard to do, and uh, they're hard to do very well. So, you know, I'm not even knocking them for that. They tried their damnedest with the tech that they had in 91. They came back around and they got to do this in 97. I know you didn't like the completely Vaseline and lube covered aliens, but there's a lot of them in this movie. And and for the most part, they're practical. There's some things that aren't practical in this movie. There's a lot of like CG blood and explosions and weird shit like that that's CG. But for the most part, the actual xenomorphs are practical. The queen is practical. The alien baby that's like a hybrid of her and uh, of Ripley and, and the xenomorph is practical. It's, it's on set. It's there. Um, if there's any silver lining about this movie, it's that those things are in the movie. They're tactile and they're real. They could have gone, you know, this is 97. They could have been like, let's experiment with doing all CG aliens. They didn't do that, thankfully. I believe Alien vs. Predator does that a lot, if I'm not mistaken. They put a lot of CG aliens in that movie. This is not. They're still tactile aliens. And for the most part, there were there was a couple of great instances of gore, which we'll get up to in just a minute. So I got to give it to those guys because I think this was sort of their way to kind of make up for what happened with Alien 3. Yeah, I mean, the look of the aliens is, is fine, doesn't bother me. It is kind of off-putting that they're constantly wet and lubed up a little bit, which is kind of <laughs> odd. Also, can I throw in one other plot device? I'm sorry to keep going back and just banging, just hitting Joss Whedon with a hammer over and over and over again. But I forgot to mention this earlier. The scene where Brad Dorif is, like, seeing, like, he has, like, three aliens in a cage, and he's, like, kind of taunting them, and, like, you know, they're in the cage. <laughs> the aliens start talking to each other, and I was just like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, they literally start grunting at each other, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then the yeah. other alien goes, ah, ooh, 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 and they're talking to each other right <laughs> when they kill, they kill the other aliens, so the acid comes out, and they fall through this. Uh, yeah, I was like, are we seriously doing a scene here, guys, where the aliens are talking to each other? Is this what we're doing? <laughs> Like where they're literally sitting there making like seal sounds going, arr, arr. you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh no, I know what you're talking about. And it was one of those scenes where I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess from aliens, we do know that they can communicate. Yeah. We just never see them really do it, and it, it was not it was it was not done to great effect in this movie. Unfortunately, I don't I don't imagine them communicating going. Arr, arr. Uh, just didn't that, literally they were like grunting and like barking at each other, and it was the weirdest sounds. And yeah, sorry, but yeah. 
I would agree. The, the, the design of it wasn't bad. And, and you know, it, again, practical. I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a much, much better, you know, uh, practical over digital effects anyways. Sometimes you have to go digital, of course, when you're making like an Avengers movie. But uh, yeah. I, pr- I prefer practical effects like this. And yeah, I, I, again, you're, you're not wrong. Like they did a, a solid job for that. And uh, the look wasn't bad. The, the weird alien child thing kind of looking like pumpkin head was a little odd but that's you know that was odd. Yeah. so but yeah. there's a lot to, there's a lot of odd things in this movie so that's that's, that at, was the, that's, that's at the bottom of the list of the odd yeah. things in this movie actually joss whedon also piped up about the design of the alien child right he was like oh they designed it all wrong and then he describes his design i'm like yeah that that's not gonna work either what you wanted also didn't work yeah oh man uh, let's talk about best gore. There is some gore in this movie. Uh, not a lot, but there is some. And anytime you're dealing with aliens, you're potentially, potentially dealing with, you know, people getting ripped apart, people getting bitten, whatever the case may be. So, Patrick, what was your best gore in Alien Resurrection? Damon, I would I would venture to say that maybe the most positive thing I can say about this movie is that it's probably the goriest of the first four alien movies. I think it's actually pretty damn gory. Like there's a lot of gore and blood and guts in this movie, even alien guts too. A lot of aliens get killed. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but this alien baby, this hybrid that has eyes and, you know, uh, 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 teeth, <laughs> weird shit about it. At one point it just takes one of the guys. And I want to say it was, um, Oh gosh. Uh, the, the one character actor, let me pull him up. I want to say it was, um, uh, Raymond Cruz's De Stefano, like that it take, I think, I think it's him or it's one of the other guys, this baby like chomps this guy's head off in a very gruesome fashion, yeah. very super gruesome. Like the head is just turns into a watermelon and, the, and there's blood all over and everything. It was a really disgusting scene amongst quite a, quite a few disgusting scenes. If I'm honest with you. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, you know, we're grading on a scale here what good is. But, yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, I will I will give you that one. Um, for me, best gore, um, again, there were some moments. There were definitely some moments. But I think the one that kind of stood out to me the most, and here, here's me throwing out another compliment of a scene, good idea, was when we're dealing with Leland Orser's character who has the chest burster inside of him, which why you invite him to come along on the trip – Whole other discussion, but okay. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the alien finally starts coming out of him. And when he decide when the alien finally starts coming out of him, when the chest burster goes through him and the other guy, and it's like the chest burster through two people, that was a cool effect. I thought that was cool. The blood goes flying, goes flying all over. I think at that point, it's actually Raymond Cruz's character and, uh, and yeah, maybe and, that was and, it. Yeah. And Rob Perlman. It just goes flood, the blood splatter goes on them. Really cool effect. I was like, you know what? The chest burster has to break through bone and muscle and everything. Who's to say he couldn't go through two at once? So I was like, that's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool effect. It was a cool effect. And uh, I think, um, yeah, that I think that might have been one of my favorite moments in the whole movie, if I'm being honest with you. Like, it's just it was a cool idea. It didn't make a lot of sense because the guy was being shot by the military guy and he just kept walking at him. And I'm like, well, it doesn't give you the superpowers of, you know, bullet, you know, (laughs) immunity or anything like that. So he was getting shot a bunch of times. He just runs up to that guy and the chest burster blows through him and kills the guy. I thought that was a pretty cool kill. Yeah, that was a cool kill. To that point, what do we have for uh, for our next category, Patrick? Which is best xenomorph kill. Uh, we didn't the the actual human kills in this movie were not all that prolific, so we decided, or I should say, 
uh, Patrick decided to do best Xenomorph kill, which I agree. That was a great category to introduce this week because the regular human kills weren't all that spectacular. So what was your best Xenomorph kill? Damon, I'm going to be really honest with you. I have it written down as chest surprise, and I don't know what I don't know what I, what, I what assumed that it meant. was that one. I assumed it was the going through two people. I thought that's what I thought that's what I was thought that was too. But that's not a xenomorph kill. Like xenomorph didn't get killed in that in that instance. Yeah, that's true. So, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, what did what was I talking about here? <laughs> that's and what I, kinda, I, I actually rewatched the movie because my wife wanted to watch it, and I still don't know what that. <laughs> This movie's got me every which way but loose, Damon. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that uh, you did best Xenomorph kill. You didn't pick a Xenomorph kill, so that's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was that one. I thought it was the chest burst. Because the alien does die. Like, they kill I it, mean, they, the they, alien they... does die. But, yeah. <laughs> I te- yeah, technically. Okay, fine. Yes, I'm sticking with that one. It still is the best Xenomorph kill. <laughs> um this is, I guess, like, I was, like, watching the movie, and I was like, you know, Ripley, like, the scene where Ripley crawls up from underneath and shoots the alien and blows its head off from underneath with the shotgun and then kind of climbs to the hole, that yeah. was pretty cool. Uh, but the one that I thought was just a cool effect was when they all dive underwater, and they're trying to go from point A to point B to get out of the ship uh, to get to their ship to escape, and they're under there, and the aliens, which, by the way, the swimming aliens was a bit much. Let me just throw that out. I'm not saying they can't do it, but it was just, like, I think that my only problem with the swimming aliens is that it was CG and it, yeah. you could tell. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, when Ron Perlman's character fires his missile at, you know, I don't know, 50 feet per five minutes, really slow underwater, <laughs> but it hits the alien and implodes and it just kind of explodes in a, in a, in a bubble because they're underwater. I thought that was a pretty cool effect. I was like, okay, you're just kind of like exploding it underwater and you're so deep underwater that it's not like it blows up on the surface. It just like implodes in the water. I thought that was a cool effect. Yeah, yeah, I think that was one of the Benner's Xeno kills. Yeah, they get the, they get the more interesting kills in this movie. Yeah, um, but yeah, you didn't even pick a Xeno kill. That's how that's how much <laughs> this movie has you twisted, Patrick. You're like, here's a category, Damon, best Xeno kill, and your 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 answer is, I don't have a Xeno kill. <laughs> I'm just exhausted by this movie. Yeah, by the end of it, you're just like, I don't know, whatever, best Xeno <laughs> kill, sure, whatever. I mean, it did die in that moment, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can you can you enter our next category because this one was a this one was a uh, this one was an all timer as far as like when I read when I read the notes that you send me just for you know behind the scenes inside baseball thing again for people maybe new here Patrick writes the categories he gives me his answers and then I give my answers on the show so he has no idea what I'm gonna say we generally try not to always agree so we get a little different perspective on every category but. Patrick makes the categories. Now, I will occasionally suggest the categories. Hey, let's do this or do that. But largely this is yours. So this was one you injected into this week. And boy, was it a good one. <laughs> I couldn't help myself, Damon. And and that 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 person who wrote us a couple of weeks ago about being negative is going to be so mad at me because <laughs> I just went more negative for some reason. But this movie's a negative movie. <laughs> I, I, this category is called Dumbest Scene. <laughs> Damon, there's so many scenes in this movie where I'm like, why is this? Why is this scene in this movie? Like, why is this here? Um, and, and you know, I'm gonna let you go first because I I gave you the full list. I'm curious to see what you chose because I could pick any of these things up here that I've listed. I gave you a list of scenes I thought were dumb, but I'm curious which one you picked first. So my answer is Alien Resurrection. Good night, folks. That's my answer. That's the, <laughs> the whole thing? The whole thing. Um, no, I'm joking. Uh, I mean, well, not really, but we're going to pick one thing. Um, so you gave me a list, 
and I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, that's pretty dumb, and boy, that's <laughs> dumb, and that's really dumb, and this is quite dumb. But the one that won out, when it was all over, and I was like, that was quite possibly one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in a movie, was... Brad Dorff's character taunting and weirdly making out with the glass while he's yeah. like connecting with the aliens and he's full on like licking the aliens. Now we've talked about the alien franchise was predicated on being a very horny movie. We've said this before. There was a lot more, there were real sexual undertones to alien and it was supposed to go way further. And then aliens kind of the same thing. We talked about the Sigourney Weaver when she returned for aliens said she wanted to have sex with the alien. That was one of her notes she wanted. Now, thank thank God James Cameron was like, we're going to pass on that one, but thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> so this is inherently a horny franchise. But this, this dude full-on making out with the glass and like looking at the alien was so unbelievably dumb and out of place and just weird. It was like he just he just went full... I mean, he again. This is, he went for it, man. Brad Dorf is full on making out with that 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 glass, and I'm just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> it that one really struck me because it's like you don't know, you never really understand why with him. Like it, it's one thing if like there's there's dumb things in here where I go, oh, that did have a fun function. I'll mention one of them in a second. But that one, I was just like, why? Why are we doing this right now? Like it makes no sense why we're doing it. Um, it's just odd. There was another one that drove me nuts, which is uh, at one point, um, these pirates, these, these space pirates, uh, with, with Winona Ryder's character being one of them, um, they're, they're kind of hanging out, having a drink. They're like drinking whiskey for whatever reason, she's wearing boxing gloves and is trying to drink with boxing gloves. But uh, Damon, correct me if I'm wrong. She's like earnestly trying to do it. She's yeah. not like being like, hey, I'm being silly, everybody, which, by the way, could also track with this movie. Like, look how goofy I, goofy I am. I'm wearing boxing gloves while I try to drink whiskey. Like, she's like trying, like genuinely struggling and trying to drink the whiskey and then like spills it. And then the guys get pissed off at her for spilling it. And she like stomps off mad. I was like, why is this in here? Like what? Like what is? And it did serve a sort of a purpose. Like she was spilling it to create a distraction. It's still a stupid scene, and that wasn't the one I ultimately picked. But I was just like, "God, this scene is dumb," <laughs> and it was a very like, "Oh, like this—that's clearly Joss Whedon's idea. Like, to that's totally how he functions." I could see it. <laughs> the one I went with was what I call the b-ball brawl. <laughs> okay, now very famously, like if anybody remembers anything about this movie, they remember that Sigourney Weaver makes a no-look shot from half court. In in the, and it really happens. They did they did it on camera after like a hundred takes. At the hundredth take, she finally did it. It was literally they were like Sigourney, we're just going to CG this thing. It's not working. But she had been practicing and she insisted, "I'm going to get the shot." She finally got the shot, and she says that's her proudest moment in the whole movie. I can understand why she <laughs> says that. <laughs> but I digress. The whole that that whole scene is super weird because she's first there just kind of practicing basketball on her own they even do this shot where she like slam dunks and it's so 90s and so like oh this is what jean-pierre thinks americans love like she does like a like a full slam dunk it's so weird and then the the space pirates come in and they're like taunting her and then the, he, ron perlman's like trying to play basketball with her and she won't let him and like she's showing off her 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 extra you know heightened skills and all that stuff. it's so corny and dumb and such a like an awful device in this movie i go how do i not pick the b-ball brawl 
Yeah, the b-ball brawl is pretty bad and feels so <laughs> out of place. And, like, why is this in here? Like, Ron Perlman is horny and he's trying to flirt with Sigourney Weaver's character. I get all that. But then, like, injecting the, the, like, where she's like, comes real close to him and she's, like, basically tossing the basketball back and forth in her hands behind his head. And then, like, she keeps taunting him with it. And then she makes a basket. She slam dunks. And then, in the end, when she does the behind the shot and throws it and makes it, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, what is this? Why is this in here? Like, why is this? Why Why did you put this in your movie? And why did you think it was a good idea? <laughs> you know what? It's funny. This just strikes me right now. All these scenes are dumb. <laughs> there's there's one line in this movie that I like, and it feels actually very Joss Whedon. So I'm actually going to give Joss Whedon writing a little bit of credit here. And he played it in the trailer, which is, I thought you were dead. And she goes, I get that a lot. If, if for some reason there was a whole different Alien Resurrection movie, a completely different one, that's the one thing I would keep from this movie. I do like that line. I do yeah. like the line, I thought you were dead, I get that a lot. I like that. Yeah, that's 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 all right. I can give you that one. That's pretty good. Uh, it's better yeah. than I'm the monster's mother. I can tell you that much for damn sure. <laughs> weren't uh, a big fan of that one, were we? <laughs> yeah, we were not a big fan of the way. That, we were not a big fan of that one. Uh, yeah, no, that was good. You know, I get that a lot. I get yeah, but again, even that to that like that fits in this movie, but it feels like the kind of like little bit of jokey inside joke feel of that of that line, yeah. which I again I do like. It's like running wild with that. Like we love the way that that Bill Paxton is so manic and aliens when he says "Game over, man, game over." And it's like you know, but that's because he's like, and you know, there's and they're Marines, they're military, so you kind of get that they're going to be a little bit like, you know, giving each other shit, breaking balls. Like that's kind of the nature of that. And so when they say some funny lines to each other, when he says, "We're on an express elevator to hell, going down," like that's all very jocular. Like you kind of understand that's in the characters that you're writing in that, and then the tone changes dramatically once they land on the planet and the yeah. aliens attack, and that's a whole other story at that point. And the humor, the kind of you know the the bro humor of the of the of the marines the pally nature of the marines changes entirely when their entire squad gets wiped out and they're basically fighting for their survival but before that it's a very you understand very locker room kind of feel of that movie the tone changes that line you mentioned is a good line in alien resurrection but it feels like they're like oh that one works okay let's do 30 more just like it that don't work like keep going with the funny keep going with the funny line like keep going with the funny line and it just never lands like none of them land that one lands none of the others do no god god no like that whole scene i keep going back to it but like that whole scene when she's taunting leland orser's character she's like you've got a monster inside of you and he's like oh my god get it out get it out i'm the monster's mother like it's just i'm sorry i keep revisiting that. people are like stop talking about that scene that scene bothered me so much <laughs> this movie bothered me so much this, yeah this whole that's why i said what's the dumbest scene alien resurrection um <laughs> Patrick, is there a version of, of Resurrection that could actually work? Like, I know we always do our remake, sequel, leave it alone category, which doesn't qualify here because we're in a franchise. We know there are sequels. We know there are, you know, things like we that. We know so they didn't doing, leave it alone. Yeah, they, we know they didn't leave. We sure as hell know they didn't leave it alone. Is there a version of Resurrection that could work? I was thinking a lot about this. This was a, a category I added this week. And I, I've come to the conclusion that no, there is not a version of resurrection that works in, in this respect. There is not a version where you bring back Ellen Ripley. There's just, there just isn't her, her story ended in alien three 
as poetically as it could. Maybe some people didn't like that ending. I thought I was I was totally fine with it and how it how it worked out because my theory back then was if you run into xenomorphs, you are screwed. You can't you cannot get out of it. You really can. We'll get to that in a moment too. So to me, I would have much rather seen a version of resurrection where they did resurrect Newt for some dumb reason. Boy, they would have had to really convince me as to why they did that. I don't really need to know why. If you're going to make a movie called Alien Resurrection, resurrect the xenomorph. Don't resurrect Ripley. Don't resurrect Newt. Don't try to rehash the old characters. We we thought we finished this problem back in Alien 3. But if you find a way to resurrect the alien itself, the xenomorph itself, then you have a movie. Then you have something I might be able to sign on for. That's the alien resurrection that works for me. Yeah, I 100% agree. There is the alien resurrection. You can use that word and just say it's aliens being resurrected. Don't clone Ripley. Don't clone Newt. That is really just you're you're stretching hard to get old characters back into the franchise. Don't do that. You killed again. That's why, like, if if there's one big complaint amongst a lot of hardcore comic book fans is that the character the the plot device of killing a character only to bring them back a year later six months later or two years later whatever the case may be has become such a tired trend and it really it, it just lowers the gravity of a story you're telling if you're like oh we're gonna kill captain america you know captain america's not dead you know he's gonna come back two years from now because captain america sells comics and so even when I was an avid comic book reader, which I'm not so much anymore, but even when I was an avid comic book reader, that always bugged me because it's always like there's really cool stories where characters die in comic books, but then inevitably you know they're going to bring them back. There's only like, I think there, there, I'm sure there's articles out there, there's plenty of articles out there where people talk about like characters in comic books who died and stayed dead, and it's a very short list. Don't do that with this franchise. You gave Ripley her ending. She died saving the world from these it just murderous evil creatures fine be done with it now there was going to be at one point an alien sequel that was going to be written by neil blancamp we've talked about that a little bit and i re- i realized doing research for this movie that sigourney weaver had talked about that because apparently the idea for that movie which it doesn't sound like it's ever going to be made now but when it was being pitched it was going to be a direct sequel to aliens they were going to forget the events of alien 3 and they were going to basically give us a different version of Alien 3 with Ripley and Newt and Hicks, who survived, which if you listen to our last podcast about that, that was my biggest problem with that film, was just the unsatisfying way they just killed off those characters off screen. It always bugged me, continues to bug me. All that, so that's fine. So how do you make an Alien Resurrection movie that works? You just said it, Patrick. Resurrect the aliens. Move on. I understand Sigourney Weaver is a star. I do. I get that. But... You know, Michael Keaton, well, I guess technically he did come back to play Batman like 30 years later, but at some point we have to move on. Like, at some point we do have to move on. You know, Christian Bale is no longer Batman. Henry Cavill, sorry, Snyderverse folks, he's no longer Superman. We have to move on at some point. And the Alien franchise is big enough, and we're going to see it this year with Alien Romulus from Fetty Alvarez and the Alien series from Noah Hawley that's going to be on FX. They are moving beyond the Ripley story. They have realized that there is still a story to be told with these aliens, these creatures, these xenomorphs, and uh, and it doesn't need to involve Sigourney Weaver's character. That's that When I say Alien Resurrection, the good version, I'm hoping that's what we're getting this year. You know, I'm hoping yeah. that's what we're getting with the Alien Romulus film. I hope that's what we're getting with the Alien series from Noah Hawley, who has done a great job with shows like Fargo and Legion. 
So that's the resurrection that I hope we're getting is these two things coming out this year. I couldn't agree more. It's okay to move on from Ripley. She had an incredible three-story arc. Really great one that I actually really enjoy. Um, some people love or hate Alien 3. I think it actually has aged pretty well. But I, th- I thought her arc was great. And it was tragic. And it was poetic. And it fit the tone that was set back in 1979. You couldn't have had a better three-story arc. I'm happy that Sigourney Weaver had the truck backed up to her house and they just dumped a pile of money on her because she deserves it and she's awesome and all that stuff. But this movie, yeah, it didn't it didn't work because it was trying to shoehorn in a character that didn't need to be shoehorned in. You could have had a story about resurrecting the aliens that would have been really compelling. You can still do it. I think Fetty Alvarez is going to do it. I think I think Noah Hawley's going to do it. And I think they're going to be good. And I think people are going to like them. We can move on from these characters. It's totally okay to move on from the characters and still live in that world. Yeah, I mean, they. I mean, they, even again, I'm. We're going to get into these films like when they did the prequels of Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Like they moved on. That's you got to. Yeah, they don't try stuff. to shoehorn in like Ripley's great grandma or something. Yeah. Like they're not trying to do that. Yeah, and I listen. I'm like when they were when they when I read that and I remembered that they were going to do that movie with Neil Blomkamp and they were going to basically erase Alien Three and do a new one, a more you know a version that more people seem to like because I think a lot of people bump up against bumped up against that story that I bumped up against and I know you didn't. And again, I'm not saying not to rehash Alien Three, but like I'm not even mad they killed the characters. Just do it in a more satisfying way. You know, like, and Sigourney Weaver wanted to die. Like that was one of her, that was one of her conditions of coming back for aliens. She wanted to die again. I'm fine with all that happening. You know what I mean? So like, even if they did the alien, even if Sigourney had reprised her role and they just retconned alien three and did a whole new alien three, I'm fine with that, but you're just continuing aliens. And then eventually we're going to see Ripley die. We all know that has to happen. That's the end of her. The species is going to be the end of her. But you got to move on. And they had a golden chance to do that with Alien Resurrection, and they didn't. They're like, hold on, we got to bring back. Even though the new thing was dumb, too. Yeah, like, even that they didn't need to do. Like, why? Just the aliens. Like, they're the, that's the that's the central part of the story. Move beyond that. You can make other compelling characters. And I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Like, I'm so glad. Like, they didn't be like, here is, uh, this is, uh, this is Gina Ripley, her great-great-grandmother. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, believe me, somebody's thinking about it when they're sitting in those meetings and the executives are like, how do we keep going with aliens? But now we're doing a prequel. Well, how do we get how do we get the Ripley bloodline in there? It's like, stop. You don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't need to. We're here. We'll show up for it. We don't need Ripley in every movie. Yeah, this isn't Dracula. We don't need his blood to spawn thousands of vampires. Ripley was a woman who just happened to be on a ship that encountered aliens. <laughs> yeah, let her rest already. <laughs> yeah, her great-great-grandmother had nothing to do with this. Leave her alone. <laughs> um, Patrick, we usually do a category here about how, you know, would we survive? Could we survive this horror film? This is where you and I inject ourselves into whatever horror film we're reviewing. And we say, based upon ourselves and these characters, this movie, would we survive it? Now, we've already established you're probably not going to make it out alive in a, in a movie where you're going up against the xenomorphs. That is the very nature of those characters, of those creatures. They kill everything, and they are survivalists. They survive everything. So you are probably, more than likely, if you encounter a xenomorph, you ain't making it out of there. So the category, instead of can we survive this horror film, is why are we dying in this alien movie? Um, so, Patrick, why are we dying in this alien movie? 
Yeah, Damon, you run across xenomorphs, you are eventually going to die. Even though in this movie, you know, a call and a Ripley 8, they do survive, but I digress. Um, you can't, you're not supposed to be able to survive coming face to face with these things. They will get you. They're just the ultimate hunters and killers. So how am I dying in this movie? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work within the confines of the alien resurrection that they gave us. And I'm going to say, uh, in the very harrowing underwater scene where the kitchen's flooded out, Damon, <laughs> just imagine, I, I, this is how I envision it. Now there's a character in here that uh, doesn't have the use of their legs. And so one of the other guys straps him onto his back and then they go swimming underwater. It's actually rather harrowing. And I think it's probably the best sequence in the whole movie overall, um, just, just in terms of execution and, and how the stakes are high. I just envision in that point, I go, Damon, strap me to your back. We're going underwater for the next 90 seconds to three minutes. And then we just drown in the water, like far, far b before the, the aliens actually swim up and eat us or anything like that. I think I just end up drowning in the water because I can't hold my breath that long. I'm, I'm a decent swimmer. I'm not great. But but in that condition and in, the, in, the, in that sequence where they're trying to get away from those aliens, I'm screwed. So it's funny you picked that scene because that's exactly the same scene I picked where I'm like, I would not make it out of there. I would be dead so quick. First off, I'm not a terrible swimmer, but I'm certainly not great at it. And I don't do it that often anymore. So, you know, every time I do get in a pool, like I have to kind of remind myself like, okay, I can swim. You know, I can, I could do this. I've never been a great underwater swimmer. I'll be the first to admit that. Like, again, I can do it, but I'm not great at it. I'll be the first to admit that I can, I swim to survive. Okay. I can swim. To, <laughs> you put me in a body of water. I can swim well enough to keep my head above water. Um, but I'm not a great underwater swimmer and they're down there for an impossibly long time. Now I did see an interview the other day that Margot Robbie was doing uh, with her castmates from Barbie. Margot Robbie can breathe underwater for five minutes. She can hold her breath for five minutes, which is remarkable. What can she, she do? Yeah, I know. Seriously. Was there anything Margot She's Robbie can do? Um, but first off, I ain't holding my breath that long. Also, can I talk? What are the, again, this is like, dude, can you stop just like beating on the poor director here? Uh, <laughs> The scene where they realize the aliens are coming after them and they turn around and at one point, Ron Perlman literally opens his mouth and screams <laughs> at the aliens underwater. Pretty sure you're dead at that point because you're not supposed to open your mouth when you're underwater. Like he literally goes, ah, yeah. and I'm like, oh, you're underwater, dude. That's probably not a good idea. But yeah, I would definitely die. I don't know if it's the water or the aliens that would get me, but right. I would not one make it two. out. Like as soon as like, we got to stay underwater for like four minutes. I'm like, all right, leave me here. I'm good. Yeah, I'll just get eaten by the alien out here instead of drowning and getting eaten by the alien at the same time. Yeah, let me let me let me be struggling to fight for my breath and get ripped apart at the same exact time. Great time here, guys. <laughs> Actually, that that's that underwater scream from Ron Perlman, which stands out like a sore thumb. I would say that I think a lot of directors would do that because it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, no, this will be good on camera. It'll look good on camera for him to scream and the bubbles come out and everything. <laughs> it, it, it's completely illogical. Uh, Gene Hackman was in a movie with uh, directed by David O. Russell, who is a notorious hothead. And they're, he's kind of a notorious asshole on set. So David O. Russell has a situation where um, Gene Hackman's character chokes to death. And he goes, okay, Gene, so in this moment where you're going to choke to death, and Gene Hackman, being a veteran actor, one of the best that's ever done it, starts to choke to death. Well, guess what, Damon? When you choke, you don't make any noise because your windpipe is completely blocked. David O. Russell comes up and goes, I need you to, like, cough a little bit. because Like, it's not reading it. I mean, he goes, no. When you're choking to death, you don't cough. When you're underwater, you don't scream. You need to hold your breath. 
same same principle, right? They get into this big argument. Gene Hackman walks off set and quits the movie <laughs> because the director's like, no, but just do one. Just do, we won't use it. Just do one. He's like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> like it's not happening. And so Gene, I believe that's the last time Gene Hackman ever acted. By the way, I don't think he ever came back to acting after that. But my, I'm just circling back around because I'm sure Jean-Pierre goes, Ron, in this moment, and him and Ron have worked together before on City of Lost Children. He goes, Ron, just give me a big scream underwater. And I'm sure Ron was like, hey, you know, pal, if I scream underwater, I can't swim for the next fucking hundred yards. (laughs) It's going to look good. Trust me. It's going to look cool. (laughs) Like, I guarantee you that's how the conversation went. Yeah, that as soon as he did that, that was that almost got my dumbest scene awards. I was like, uh, you realize when you <laughs> open your there. mouth under when you open your mouth underwater, you suck in water, and you're probably dead at that point. Like you don't get to scream <laughs> underwater. It looks cool. I'll give you that. Like it looks like a cool effect. But if you're trying to be practical about it, you ain't making out of that tank of water. <laughs> yeah, I love Ron. Ron Perlman. Oh! <laughs> yeah, okay, you're fucked now, Ron. That's it. You're totally screwed. Yeah, there's there, there's part there's part two of my dumbest scene is screaming underwater. Like, <laughs> So yeah, but I'm not. But I'm just saying that to excuse. Like I know a lot of directors pull shit like that where they're like, "No, it's gonna look cool." Yeah, no, I no, you're absolutely right. That's that's hilarious. And Gene Hackman is iconic, man. What a great actor. I'm so happy. He's just like, forget, I'm done. I'm leaving the movie. (laughs) Fuck you. I'm quitting, dude. I don't need this shit. Yeah. Yeah, so hilarious. No, it's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I watched that scene. I was like, is he screaming underwater? Is this really what we're doing right here? Uh, yeah. That but might be my favorite scene in the whole movie now that I think about it. <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, man. All right, Padre. Last category, as we always do each and every week here on the show, is it scary? I have a feeling I know the answer to this question right away. <laughs> oh, damn it. Oh, man. Is it scary? I don't know what it is. I don't know what alien resurrection is because i don't think the filmmakers knew what it was i don't i don't think anybody knew what it was i don't think the director i don't think the uh writer knew what this movie was and it shows on screen you don't know what to be into now to be like very technical in the technical sense this might be one of the goriest this might be one of the nastiest more there's the most blood and guts and gore of the first four alien movies that i've ever seen so in that respect, if you're if you are very adverse to gore, you might find this movie off-putting for more reasons than one. Patrick, this film is not scary um, <laughs> at all. I mean, I get it. You know, yeah, gore, okay, a couple things like that. A lot of gore, there, sure. But yeah, I mean, come on, this isn't scary. There's nothing harrowing about this movie. It's comical. I said it earlier, and I say it again now. It is a comically bad movie. Um, Alien is the most horror of all the Alien franchise films. Alien is a horror film tinged in Mm sci-fi. Aliens is a sci-fi action film tinged in horror. There are some harrowing moments in Aliens. I think we'd all agree by that. And even I mentioned during that review that James Cameron didn't want to make a horror film, but he injected elements of that because he wanted to be true to the original Alien. Alien 3, as I mentioned earlier, went back to Alien, that that feel, and there's definitely a horror element to Alien 3. Alien Resurrection, I don't even know what they're doing. Like, it's not scary. It is sci-fi, I guess, but, like, that's only because we're dealing with aliens and a ship in space, um, but in cloning, I guess. But, yeah, it's just, like, this is just a really convoluted mess, and it's not scary. It's not enthralling. It's not interesting, and I've now seen this movie... 
I'm assuming three times. I know I've seen, I, I'm I'm positive I'd seen it twice before this, even though I was like blocked out big chunks of this movie. I was like, oh yeah, I can, here's another one. I'm watching it last night, I I knew Winona Ryder was in the movie. Completely forgot she was an android. Completely forgot she was a yeah, synthetic human. I completely forgot about that. I was like, oh yeah, like that happened. Okay. Um. So again, I know I've seen this movie now three times. I know I've seen it three times. I feel like I've seen this film three times too many, Patrick. That's how many times I've seen this film. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to revisit this film ever again. Um, yeah, Damon, listen, it happens in the franchises. You Sometimes you hit a wall, and sometimes the wall is alien resurrection. Yeah, I said earlier, what was the most precipitous drop-off in a sequel-laden franchise from one film to the next? And I named a couple where I said this one to this one. I even would say, here's one, you're going to laugh when I say this. Even Halloween ends, as bad as that movie is, which Mm -hmm. is top five least favorite movies of mine of all time, Halloween Kills, while when I revisited it, wasn't great. There were elements more that I liked about it the second time than I liked the first time. Even going from that to Halloween Ends isn't as bad as what they did from Alien 3 to Alien Resurrection. Alien 3, I, again, we don't do ratings on this show, so I don't want to I don't want to start now. I'm just giving you like an idea of what I'm coming up with. If I, if I was going to give Alien 3 a, a B or a B minus, let's say, like it's not my favorite, but it's still pretty good. A B. B is pretty good grade, right? Like Alien is an A+. Aliens is an A+. A B to a B minus is not a terrible rating for a – it's a pretty good – it's a more than a passing grade. Yeah. This is like F minus. This is like they oh, yeah. call they call like the they call your parents and have you come to the school and be like, we need to talk about <laughs> we need to talk about little Jean Pierre's homework here because this is a problem. Uh, this is like that's how big of a drop on. So I was trying to like I was thinking of every example in my head I could think of of franchises without going into like the goofy franchises. Like you know, there's some really goofy you know like you talk about the Leprechaun movies like Leprechaun in the sure hood. yeah that's yeah I mean yeah you can go full on stupid but like. A respectable franchise with a budget, with a star cast, like all of that. This is maybe, I don't know, maybe someone has a better idea. If you have an idea, if there is a more precipitous drop-off from one film to the next in a franchise, I want to hear from you. Send us an email, rotlivingdead at gmail.com, rotlivingdead at gmail.com, or send us a message on social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram. Just search Rewind of the Living Dead. If you have an example of a of a bigger, steeper drop-off from one film to the next in a franchise, not, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue, you know, I guess you could technically kind of argue uh, from uh, uh, New Nightmare to... Um, Dream Child? Dream, no, no, from, from New oh, Nightmare oh, yeah, to... Yeah. From New Nightmare or Freddy's, Freddy vs. Jason to the remake? The Friday Nightmare on Elm Street remake? That's pretty bad. But that's a that's a reboot. Mm. That's not the same yeah. thing. This is all one part of a series. That I guess I'm not trying to lay rules to make to make. I'm saying like when you talk about a sequential, you know, film, I can't think of a better example. I was like thinking about last night. I, was like, I don't know that I could come up with a better answer than Alien Three to Alien Resurrection. It's it's not even a drop off, Damon. It's a it's a full blown sinkhole. <laughs> I mean, it's just like there was there was ground and then there was not ground. <laughs> That's what happened with with this. This is, in my opinion, this is probably the steepest drop off of any because some some franchises let you down slowly. This one went from hey everything's all right to oh everything is completely gone. Everything is down in a dark void somewhere, <laughs> and uh, we, we can't recover any of it. Uh, yeah. Truly, I mean, like. If, I, if, if you would have said this is the end of the Alien franchise for good because of how bad this was, I go, I totally understand. 
There's a great line in uh, in Friends when Phoebe's character, Lisa Kudrow's character, finds out that her mother showed her movies as a kid and she ended them before the sad parts happened. So she saw Old Yeller, but she didn't know Old Yeller died. <laughs> There's a part where they, they say, well, watch It's a Wonderful Life. That's a movie baked in to the title. And she watches it, and if you watched It's a Wonderful Life, it's kind of a sad movie until the ending when like the guy you know realizes his life's worthwhile and he wanted to live, blah, blah, blah. But she's like, it's not a wonderful life. It's a sucky life. And it continues to be a sucky life. And when, just when you think it can't suck, it sucks even more. That's what they do with Alien Resurrection. Like, just when you think this movie can't suck anymore, it finds a new way to suck, is what I would say about this film. <laughs> the, one of the final lines of the movie is, well, we did it. We saved the Earth. <laughs> just what a terrible line that is there was also a version we didn't get into this there was a version of the script where there was gonna be a full-on battle on earth like that was the original version of joss whedon's script like they were gonna land on earth and the alien battle was going to happen on earth yeah well we don't need to go any further into what more joss whedon and jean pierre genou could have come up with they came up with enough thank you very much (laughs) we we did it that's the best way to describe this movie yeah you did it you sure did (laughs) Sure uh, that's our episode for this week, folks. We appreciate everyone tuning in. As I already mentioned, all of our social media channels hit us up anytime. We'd love to hear from you guys. And I really do. If you have a better example of a steeper drop off in a franchise, I would love to hear it. Maybe I'm forgetting something again. I'm doing this on the fly. So maybe I just didn't think about it deeply enough, but I was thinking of all my favorite horror franchises. And I'm like, no, I can't think of a better example of how bad, how good one film was. And the next one was just a total suck fest. Uh, I can't think of a better example. Uh, if you have one, send it to us. We'd love to hear from you. Also, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on our YouTube channel. Just search Rewind of the Living Dead. You'll find us over there. Uh, you can also find us individually on TikTok. You can find us everywhere. We are everywhere. So send us uh, messages. We'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, if you have any other questions you want to hit us up on our own personal social media channels, you can do that as well. I am at Damon Martin, and you are? At Director Patrick. And a big thank you, as always, for everyone that tunes in each and every week to the show. We'll be back next week with another edition of Rewind of the Living Dead. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Au revoir.